our guest uh, who we have this evening on the show for uh, years. She is a professor emeritus uh, from the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. Uh, she has been working in uh, the environment and particularly in water and toxicology uh, for decades and is uh, easily, if not, she, I'm going to just say she is probably the state expert when it comes to all things water, water quality, and water policy. Uh, so excited to have her here. Please, a big round of applause, Dr. Deb Schwackhammer. That's good. Thank you, Dennis. All right. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I'm so uh, I'm so delighted. Thank you. Uh, I'm delighted you finally got me. Uh, yes, yes. So, uh, so I, I wanted to start. Usually, I start really big in shows and then try and zoom down. But I wanted to kind of start local with our conversation because we're talking about water, uh, and everybody's talking about water right now. But we're in Minnesota. And so really, we're fine. And so this is just we should talk about the problems that everybody else is having and how we can lord it over them. Uh, and someday, you know, it'll be sort of like, it'll, have you seen the movie Tank Girl? Where there's, uh, there's like four people in the audience who've seen that. Where there's a world where there's water is the most precious resource and everyone is fighting and blowing each other up over it. And we will be the overlords of the rest of the world here in Minnesota in that scenario is my, my theory. There are two things wrong with that theory. <laughs> Just two. Just two. That's Just a two. record for me. All right. I would say the first one is we actually do have to worry about how much water we have in Minnesota because we're using our groundwater. We have lots of surface water, like the most surface water. We are the lords of surface water. The lords of surface water. But we are not using um, our groundwater well. And then the second issue is if you No have pun intended, groundwater well. Um, are you going to clap at every single water pun? Because that's going to get old. But um, the other thing is if you have lots of water but it's polluted, you still have a problem. And so we have two issues facing us. One is um, we're overusing our groundwater and we are... Um, our surface water is also polluted to some extent. So we should uh, just try and delineate. So I think people know groundwater uh, comes, I think, from the ground, and then surface water is largely on the surface. <laughs> and not, not exactly, actually. Uh, okay, just help me out, because uh, you know, I, I, it's not like I have an advanced degree that I earned yesterday or anything. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know how this works. So. Um, groundwater and surface water are connected, even though it seems like they're not. Groundwater is typically beneath the surface of the ground, but it comes from rain percolating down. And groundwater feeds our surface water. So every single river in the United States, anywhere in the world, every river is fed by groundwater initially. There's a little bit of water that's from the ground in every river and stream. So why are we? Why do we go out? It, it, there's less groundwater for us to work with then in Minnesota than, or no? No, it's not that there's less. It's that it, it takes so long for rain to percolate down and fill the groundwater reservoirs. It takes hundreds of years, but we can pump it out in seconds. So that's the problem. It's it, the time lag. Is it, so is it a problem that we're going after groundwater or is that we're just using too much water and it just happens to be that we're taking it from groundwater? If we took it all from surface water, would we just be out of surface water instead of you know, running out of groundwater? We should be taking it from surface water. But we're taking, for instance, our drinking water systems, about three quarters of the metro area is using groundwater instead of river water. And we've got the Mississippi River right here. And so that those the folks in the Twin Cities 
much much more of them should be drinking river water. But the the outlying um, neighborhoods and the suburbs, it's so much easier and it's so much cheaper to drill a well than it is to pipe water from the Mississippi. So when all those suburbs built out in the 70s, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, what happened was they they went to groundwater and it didn't seem to be a problem. But now we know the groundwater is just going down and down and down and it's not being replenished at all at the same rate that we're using it. So uh, I, what, I wanted to circle back to the second piece that you talked about, the problem with my initial, uh, you know, that we're the water overlords of the rest of the world <laughs> theory. Uh, and it's the pollution piece. And just to try and push back on your pushback, you know, aren't we're at the head of the Mississippi. So if we pollute the water, isn't that, you know, Mississippi's problem? You know, we're fine up here, right? You know, you could take that kind of selfish attitude. Sure. You yeah. Could <laughs> I, you could say, you know, yeah, it's our water to begin with and it's clean because our water comes from the sky. We start. Minnesota starts with clean water completely. It's really cool. We're the only state that does. And then we export down the Mississippi. We export dirty water down the Mississippi. We export to the Great Lakes. And guess what? The Duluth Superior Harbor is one of the most polluted in the Great Lakes. And we, um, we discharge up the Red River of the North all the way up to Hudson Bay. And that's polluted from us. And so I think people, some folks might know, but let's just sort of draw it out. What is it that's causing all that pollution? What, is, what are we doing? There's a lot of things, but um, the biggest problem in the state is excess nutrients, too much phosphorus and too much nitrogen. Um, there's some other issues as well. I wouldn't say that's the only issue, but those excess nutrients are coming from uh, development. They're coming from ec too much stormwater, um, but mostly they're coming from agriculture. So 75% of the excess nitrogen in the state is from agriculture practice, from application of fertilizers and the like. And then uh, about 50% of the phosphorus is coming from agriculture. And uh, one other piece on the, the fact that it's polluted, I, what does that mean, I guess? Uh, some folks might say, oh, there's too much uh, phosphorus or nitrogen in the water. So Who what? Who cares? Yeah, Who it cares? looks ugly. So uh, I think I think kelp is delicious. I don't know if that actually happens. Uh, <laughs> but uh, why why is it a why problem? Why do we care? Yeah. yeah. So too much phosphorus certainly there's an effect on how things look and smell. So when you at the you know in August when your pond or your lake or the chain of lakes is kind of green looking and they say don't swim in the water and it look, you wouldn't want to touch it anyway. That's phosphorus. The other thing phosphorus causes is um, hazardous algal blooms that produce toxins. And so at one point, a couple of years ago, they said, don't walk your dog along the shores of Lake Minnetonka. If the dog drinks that water, the dog could die. Oh. And it happens. Um, that's an extreme case, but that um, th we care about phosphorus for um, public health reasons. The other thing with nitrate is that it's a big public health problem. Um, if, if infants less than six months old drink water that has nitrate in it, above a certain level, they will die. They won't just get sick, they will actually suffocate and die. Mm. They don't get the, the complicated why, but that's what happens. So we have laws that say you cannot have nitrate in your drinking water above a certain level to protect children. And um, unfortunately, private wells aren't regulated by anybody. And there's, mm. there's hundreds if not thousands of wells, private wells in Minnesota that ha have water concentrations of nitrate above that limit. How do we? So it's a, it is a problem. How do we know that they do? Do we? Uh, did you check? Uh, I'm just. I mean, 
yes with my three thousand water kits no the actually the state department of agriculture has been doing a study for the last three to five years where they're they're getting permission to test water from mostly vulnerable areas where farming is and they actually go and they ask the farmer can I test your water and the water and the farmer says yes and they test it and they say oh whoops you're gonna be a red dot on our map not a green dot oh I do they I hope they tell the farmers then what that means you're a red dot and they're like okay it's Christmas either way there's other stuff in our water too that I've heard you talk about beyond the things that come off it and I think that this is actually really interesting to talk about in some ways because a lot of these chemicals that you've talked about, we don't know exactly what some of them do. Is that correct? Right. So I would say another big problem in the state is the presence of, uh, we call them contaminants of emerging concern. That's such, a, that's such a delicate term. Like, they're, they're an emerging concern. Uh, not fully concerned it's yet, like but it's emerging. It, it, it's like the, you know, the murderer, the axe murderer caught with the axe, and he's still the, you know, uh, he's the emerging murderer. Well, he's, uh, you know, he's the, you know, what's the word? The alleged, uh, alleged uh, murderer. Yeah. 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 So it's the alleged chemicals, but yeah. attempted homicide. Uh, yeah. 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 So, um, what so these chemicals, we yeah. don't know enough about them to regulate them. We know they're bad in certain circumstances. We know that they have bad effects on in animals and mice and fish. We don't actually know what the impact is on humans just living in, in the environment being exposed to these chemicals. And they're in our drinking water, they're in our lakes and rivers. And where, do we know where they where they come from? Or? They come from everything. They come oh from good. the plastic. <laughs> nothing to worry chair. about, folks. They come from food containers, they come from uh, makeup, they come from uh, cleaning products, they come from al almost every consumer good has some degree of these. And of course, pharmaceuticals themselves, over-the-counter uh, drugs and prescription drugs are in our water. And you said that we, we There's don't know... There's a joke in there for sure, guys. Uh, uh, we don't know what they do to people, but we have an idea that they do certain things to fish and... What do we think... What are we finding that they do to fish and, and animals? Okay, here it comes. Okay. <laughs> Cover your ears if you're under 21. <laughs> so... Um, they cause... Um, they cause a sexual malfunction, and so they basically... <laughs> I was waiting for him to take a sip. I was going to um, spit gag, but I don't trust the first audience well enough. So They um, feminize male fish. And in some cases, they take a fish and they make it both male and female and unable to reproduce. How and is it? it I, I mean, so I will admit, uh, my scientific background is mostly from seeing Jurassic Park. But that's how the, uh, that's how the <laughs> dinosaurs in Jurassic Park were able to reproduce, is they were both male and female. Reptiles. Those would be reptiles. Oh. <laughs> And fish aren't. <laughs> okay. Fish lay eggs, and they have to. They need okay. both a mom and a dad. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So they're they're the fish are the fish are man and woman at once, and to some extent, or else men are the male fish are simply become female. And that's and that's a problem. That's a problem. Uh, because then the fish can't reproduce. Okay. Um, uh, and we know this happens. We I mean, know we this. We know this in the in the wild. We know this in the Mississippi River. Okay. Like here? Yeah, here. Oh, okay. I, that's nothing. I don't. There's something wrong with. No, there's something wrong with that. Uh, not morally. It doesn't seem right. No, it seems like there's a lot of issues that are kind of coming together here, but they're all sensitive enough that I don't know how to like digest. <laughs> um, so I'm going to move emerging. on. You emerging. Emerging. It's an emerging <laughs> issue of yeah. sensitivity. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So. Uh, that looks really good. That does look good. Um, 
Oh, so one last thing, and we uh, on just sort of the science piece of this, uh, we talk about, you mentioned, you know, we have fresh water, uh, we have clean water that we start with here in Minnesota. So if uh, your entire science background were uh, basically from a sixth grade earth science class and Jurassic Park, you would remember that there's sort of, there's that water cycle, right? Where you have water and it goes down the river and then uh, it gets sucked up into the clouds and then the clouds drop it again on a lake somewhere and then that lake puts it back in the river and it just goes in a big circle like this, right? And so doesn't, that's just a natural cleaning system. And uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a batch of angels up there that are just scrubbing it clean and then put it back for us. <laughs> Did you learn that from Jurassic Park? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that cycle is sort of somewhat true. We'll let it. We'll let that go. Okay, good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's only an hour show, it's, so it's global. So the water comes from the ocean, travels three fifty. I don't know. It travels halfway around the world. Then it rains, and that water goes another thousand miles into another ocean. I mean, it's a huge cycle. It's not like just over Minnesota. <laughs> Could we make it just over Minnesota? Uh, has anyone looked into um, that? A, a fair amount of investment, I think. Okay, uh, so uh, so you you were a professor at the Humphrey School for a very long time, and so you and you've uh, worked uh, in sort of the policy sphere for a while. So uh, talk to us a little bit about here in Minnesota. How is Minnesota doing policy-wise with addressing some of this stuff? Are we good? Are we not so good? Are we are we at least above average? Um, <laughs> Garrison would blush. Um, it, we're actually uh, like leading the nation. There we go. We that's are. that's more that's more bragging than we're comfortable with. But exactly. But I'm from the East Coast originally, so that's no problem. Um, the I, I do want to, in all seriousness, you know, we've talked about the negative aspects, but um, the, the United States has uh, has the has the safest drinking water of almost any country in the world. The only one who beats us is Singapore, which I don't need to explain why. But but can you please explain why? <laughs> later. The, but we have wonderfully clean water. So if you're drinking tap water, you're doing the right thing. That's great. We have great water. Minnesota has a, has a very good record when it comes to that. Um, so I don't mean to scare people off with these kind of you know scary stories, but we, we do have good water. And we're doing really, really innovative and good things um, in Minnesota. There's no other state that has the legacy amendment that puts a whole bunch of money into a clean water fund. There's no other state that... Um, is thinking about how to fix this uh, infrastructure problem the way our current legislature is thinking about it. And can you describe <laughs> what that, wait, that's very delicate. Uh, they have a week left. It's, um, it's an emerging <laughs> political it's discussion. It's an emerging <laughs> political discussion. Can you describe what is that infrastructure uh, problem, um, emerging yeah, or not? Yeah. yeah. Um, in Minnesota, it doesn't rise to the level of the other problems we talked about, but um, certainly around the country, um, when the Clean Water Act was passed back in the 1970s, uh, one of the things it required was sewage treatment. We didn't require sewage treatment before then, I know. And um, so we required sewage treatment, minimal treatment. So everybody in the country built a sewage treatment plant, every city. And so all those plants are the same age. And so it's kind of like a balloon payment on your mortgage. We all, we're going to have to build new water treatment plants all kind of now because they're all aging and, and getting old and rusty and corrosive and they were built with lead pipes and all of those bad things. And so we have an infrastructure crisis nationwide to replace pipes and to um, upgrade our sewage treatment plants and our drinking water plants. The same issue exists for them. And that's why it's suddenly a big issue. So at the national level, the, the price tag to fix things would be 10 
trillion dollars with a t trillion and in minnesota it's about ten billion it seems like a deal uh ten well i i don't know if everybody just uh could empty their pockets uh but uh and that would replace the things that we we need to fix here in Minnesota, as far as that would bring all the communities that aren't that need help kind of up to up up to snuff, and that would be over say a 10, 15 year period. And I guess uh, to try and sort of bring these two pieces together, that you're talking about sort of bringing the pieces that we already have back uh, to, to mm -hmm. the levels that we want them to be. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things I think that you would suggest that we aren't doing, that we should be doing in terms of policy and uh, how the state regulates or incentivizes people to do certain things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the list is pretty long. It is. Uh, <laughs> well, we asked you backstage, actually, and I'll just ask you again. So if you were empress uh, of uh, the empress. world... And uh, water empress, and you had an water army empress. of, uh, you know, water imperial guards uh, to enforce your will. Uh, what would be the three? What would be the three liquid mandates that you would put uh, on the people um, in their their dry, sandy lives? Well, first, I would try to deal with this nutrient problem from agriculture. Um, again, I'm going to just simplify, but. Um, uh, agriculture nationwide is not regulated under federal law or state law. And I don't mean livestock, I mean row crop agriculture. So we're a big corn state, means we have a lot of problems in terms of pollution coming from corn and soybean growers. I would find a way to regulate them that wasn't punitive or pointing fingers at you, the poor farmer, because we know that that doesn't work well. Everyone's sympathetic to the poor farmer. I was going to ask, I mean, why do you hate food? <laughs> I don't, I love food. But it uh, doesn't show, but I, anyway, the, um, I love food. I don't hate farmers. I just think that they are, they, it's not equal. You know, 3M has to get permits and can't pollute to whatever it wants. Um, the sewage treatment plant in St. Paul can't pollute to whatever level it wants. But corn and soybean growers can. They, it's legal. And it's not that they want to pollute or that they hate water. It's that they can. And it's part of their bottom line. So it, you can't just punish them because we eat their food. And it, it's complicated. Who's going to pay? But if I were empress, I would, I, I call it a speed limit. I would basically say, you as a farmer, if you're doing the right things, you're not going to pollute above a certain level. Fine. You just go about your business. But if we find, using my guard of, what, it, liquid guard? Yeah, there, liquid um, guard. <laughs> we, my magical water uh, army could figure out what they were polluting, and if you were above that, you know, speed limit, you know, we'd nail you. And how would you even know, though, if they were above or below that, that speed limit? That special guard you keep oh, talking Oh, yeah, that's right. The army. Um. No, you'd have to do measurements. You would have to figure out a paradigm that worked. In all seriousness, it's possible to do. It would take a lot of work to implement. But basically, the farmers that are doing the right thing, that's great. They shouldn't have to fill out paperwork. They shouldn't have to do anything. But the guys that – because it's probably a small percentage of, that are bad actors – Get those guys off the streets, out of the farming. <laughs> uh, the uh, last session uh, in the legislature, we had a we had a bumper a bumper crop a buffer crop uh, a buffer uh, buffer initiative. bumper crop initiative. Yes. But that didn't that didn't happen. I was wondering, can you just explain what the science behind that was, and then sort of uh, mm. what it would mean if we have that, and what it means that we don't. 
Well, we do have it, sort of. We do have yeah. it, sort of. Sorry. Yes, yeah. sort of. No, it's all right. The, um, so the buffer initiative that the uh, governor proposed is basically um, all waterways, whether they're lakes or rivers or streams, would have a buffer of about 50 feet, it varies by size, but say 50 feet of native plantings, grass, uh, switchgrass, whatever you want. But it wouldn't be planted and you couldn't fertilize it. Fertilize it. And um, the idea is that when you have water flowing off a field, if it flows through this buffer, it gets filtered. It's like a sponge, and it takes out nutrients, the excess nutrients, and it takes out, it helps you know, slow the water down. It's good. It's all good. And 50 feet, the, it shows that you take out maybe 30 to 40 percent of the chemicals. So that's a good number. 50 feet was a good defensible number from the science side. Um, the governor also wanted to do this on private lands along ditches that farmers have that, that uh, their tile drain comes out to and those ditches then go into um, public water. And um, there was a lot of pushback both um, off session and in session and so they have changed the law to um, have it not apply to private land. And that takes some of the teeth out of it. Wow, we do not get this kind of uh, reaction to uh, sort of in-depth science policies uh, that we're proposing to the Minnesota legislature where people uh, have these strong views. So good, uh, good, very smart uh, audience. Uh, I was going to, uh, just sort of as a general question, with a lot of these things, they do seem incredibly contentious uh, in some cases. And yet water is something that we all use and we all value and we all want. So. I'm wondering if you can explain that that disconnect, like how it becomes something that we're we're fighting over in a very uh, sort of bitter political way, and yet it's something that I don't think and there's no anti-water lobby. I don't think. I've never heard of one. No, and it's not a it's not a partisan issue. I mean, nobody says they're against clean water. Nobody. Uh, not yet. Uh, <laughs> and it's definitely not um, a Republican Democrat issue. It's not even an outstate in-state issue. It's not a partisan issue no matter how you slice it. It's not an old, young issue. It, it isn't an issue that way. What it is is a political football, and it's a big, visible, everyone cares about it, political football that are not football. It's a, something you can trade with. So take Flint, Michigan. They still have not passed any relief in Congress, the U.S. Congress, for Flint. It's been six months since it hit the news, and they haven't done a thing. And why? It's because I'll vote for Flint if you vote for my whatever. And it hasn't happened because the coalitions, it, it's all about trading votes. So um, Governor Dayton, hypothetically, uh, let's say, um, a special interest group went to him and said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you don't get this, 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 and this in your next session if you don't water down that buffer bill. Hypothetically. And... <laughs> And the same thing is happening right now with infrastructure. We have a $385 million bonding initiative from the governor's office. It's a great idea. Everyone wins. Every part of Minnesota wins if that bonding is passed to improve our infrastructure. We'd be way ahead of the rest of the country. And what's happened? Several people have said, not until we have a transportation bill. And if you heard the news today, we still don't have a transportation bill. So my guess is we won't get that bonding. And everyone is for it, but it's being used to trade votes. The more we talk, the better it sounds to have uh, Empress Deborah Schwackhammer. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to bring our guests back in the second half of the show to answer your questions. But for right now, can you please help me in a big round of applause for our guest, Dr. Deborah Schwackhammer. We're going to take a seat right here. 
to, oh, wow, that was fast. And you're a sponsor, so I have to come over there. So uh, good. Theon uh, Dental, which uh, is, I, I was reminded to say is actually just down the street. So I don't know. Could people stop by like later tonight? OK, good. Um, uh, so all right, here you are. Well, my name is Jamie. And I have sort of an Ask Mrs. Science kind of question for you. Uh, and it's this, that in theory, the Earth is sort of a closed ecosystem of water. And it's been around since the beginning of time. So water, short of the few hundred gallons that have been shot up to the space station, in theory, there's the same amount here than there's ever been. So where's it all going? So essentially, you're correct. I mean, I could quibble over the 10th decimal place. But yes, you basically, there's a closed amount of water. There's a finite amount of water that has been cycling through the planet since, uh, since we first had that first molecule form of H2O. But the thing is that um, only 3% of all of the water on Earth is fresh. 97% is saline. So we can't drink that, and it, it's, its usefulness is limited to some extent. And then of that 3%, only... 3% of that is actually where you can find it, in streams and rivers and lakes and surface uh, ground, you know, groundwater that you can get to. The rest is locked up in ice caps and polar regions and deep, deep groundwater. Uh, other hands, I'm going to come up there. I'm going to work my way back down. All right, so yes, sir. Two things. One is this business of the buffer strip if it doesn't apply to private land, but isn't virtually all farmland private, and then we're upstream, but we're drinking St. Cloud's wastewater, right? Those were two separate questions, I think. <laughs> um, in terms of the first question, the agricultural question, um, yes, the, but, the, but the water flows to private streams, for instance, but then it flows into public water eventually. And so the, the thought is, is that at least you'll get the buffer benefit when that water reaches public ditches and public streams. It's, uh, it, it is what it is. The, in, in terms of the other one, you're absolutely right. You are drinking St. Cloud's uh, cleaned wastewater, and everyone downstream of Pig's Eye is, I, I hate when they call it that, St. Paul treatment plant is drinking uh, water that is coming from that plant. But I'll tell you, those treatment plants are producing very clean water. Uh, it's remarkable. One of the things that bothers uh, many Minnesotans that understand the water cycle is that we go to great expense to collect all this sewage water, we clean it to incredible levels of cleanliness, and then we put it in a river and it goes downstream. We never get the benefit of having cleaned all that water at great energy expense, at great fiscal expense. Well, can I ask just a quick follow-up? And uh, this issue of gray water came up a little bit, but I think one of the things that's very that's interesting for a lot of folks is we use pretty much all water the same, right? Like it's more or less, you know, the same water is in the sink, is in the toilet, is in the shower, is in your sprinkler. I, has any that AC, is there a reason for that? Or is that, uh, would it make sense to do it differently? Or is there a cost prohibitive reason? I'm, I've never been able to wrap my head around that. We do use water. Um, we clean water to a very high level, and then we use it for everything. We wash our cars with, with potable water. We uh, water our yards with potable water, which is, um, in a sense, a waste of energy and clean water. Uh, many states that are water scarce are trying to parse that out. So they use uh, gray water, which isn't sewage water, by the way. That's, that would be black water. So you've got gray water. 
um, which might be from the washing machine or you know you collect the water from showers or something like that. That would be gray water, and that can get reused to say water plants, water your garden. Um, in Minnesota, we have so much water, we simply haven't had um, the, the need to do it in a sense, and we certainly haven't had the awareness to do it until recently. People have been talking about this, and so it requires changing plumbing codes, requires construction code changing, it requires um, a lot of replumbing of existing plumbing. It requires developing standards for when you can use gray water versus this water versus that water. So there's a lot of planning that has to go into uh, using water differently. It's a lot easier to just clean water to this high level and then use it. But um, the state actually has a, a couple of committees that are looking at this uh, within the state agencies, trying to figure out if there's a, what would, what, what's the list of, of things that would have to get done to change and allow us to use water, different levels of clean water differently for different purposes. All right, uh, there were a bunch of hands. Oh, right over there. Oh, wow. Oh, everybody. Oh. Hi. <coughs> Hi, I'm in the Master Water Steward class of 2016. And I wish, I wish you could explain to everybody why rainwater, the minute it touches anything, is now considered pollution. And uh, say that again, you were? Why rainwater? In Minnesota? Yeah, in Minnesota, the minute it touches anything is now considered pollution. It's not that it's considered pollution. It's that it picks up pollution the minute it starts to run over, over land. Yes. Because um, most of our land is used for something. We don't have a lot of forest left. It's, it's, you know, more than half the state is farmed, and so it picks up soil. It picks up chemicals from the land. It, uh, it picks up mercury on its way down <laughs> before it hits the land. Um, and it, it picks up, uh, in cities, it picks up pollutants from parking lots and roads and all of that. So it is, it's not that it's polluted because it touches the land. It's that the land, um, water's the great universal solvent. So as soon as it, it runs across the, the land or across a parking lot or across a road, uh, it picks up and dissolves pollutants that get into that water. Okay, there, was a hand, there were two hands here. Uh, could you talk about the Great Lakes Pact and the issue of certain cities outside of the pact area wanting to take fresh water from the Great Lakes and what that means for the future? Sure, I'll try to keep that short because there are books written on that subject. Um, so the, uh, the Great Lakes is the largest uh, body of fresh water in the world. If you count the St. Lawrence River, it's actually 21% of the world's fresh water. Of that little bit of fresh water we talked about, 21% is in the Great Lakes. That's a lot of water. So it's very popular to think about taking that water elsewhere, so uh, piping it, say, to Arizona or California or wherever. Um, the Great Lakes Compact was an agreement initially among the Great Lakes governors, the eight Great Lakes governors. It was then expanded to include the two provinces in Canada, and that was an agreement amongst those uh, leaders to say, we will not allow exports outside of the basin. What that means is outside of the watershed of the Great Lakes. So in Minnesota, the watershed for Lake Superior is really narrow. Very little of our state flows into Lake Superior in that watershed. But if you take the state of Michigan, something like 90% of the state is in the Great Lakes Basin. So the different states have different amounts of, of vulnerability. When so it's just politically, the question then was, they were, they were making a pact basically, oh, you know, governor of uh, Michigan or you're not going to go out and sell this water to Utah or Arizona? Or was it that they were worried about an invasion? Uh, both. They were, <laughs> they were worried about all sorts of things. It started because actually of someone bottling water from Lake Michigan 
and taking it by container ship out of the Great Lakes and, and selling it in Asia. <laughs> and that's what started the whole thing. So actually, it was selling the water. But anyway, this went into federal and then international law, just to kind of summarize. So the policy now is actually federal and international law. But the thing is, is that um, in order to, if you're outside that basin and you want that water, like Waukesha, um, Wisconsin, it's just outside the basin. It's only like 15 miles, I want to say, or maybe 20 miles from Lake Michigan. They have to get the agreement of all the Great Lakes and the two, pro well, not Michigan, they just need the Great Lakes states. And they have to actually have a vote with the legislature and the, and the governor has to sign off on it. It's a huge process. And it's to protect the water from selling it. It's to protect it from uh, uh, building pipes and, and providing water to other states is to protect that resource. And so that's what that is, and it's, um, it's in law. It's not been challenged yet. I'm sure it will be at some point. But it's really, really expensive to ship water. If you're not going to sell it in bottles in Taiwan, it's really, really expensive to ship it, say, to, uh, to Arizona. Oh, is that why Singapore has such clean water? Because they get it from <laughs> Lake Michigan? Sure, OK. Uh, <laughs> uh, my fifth graders are studying water. And one of the things that we learn is about how cheap it is for companies to pump water from groundwater and then bottle it and sell it. Uh, Nestle does it in, in uh, Canada, and they pay $7.13 for, I think it's 100,000 gallons, and they make $2 million. And so is there law, or is, I assume that's what, you know, companies are paying pennies pumping the groundwater and then making millions in plastic containers. Is there law or is there a movement to stop that? So it's actually no different than um, Coca-Cola pumping water or getting water to make Coca-Cola or Budweiser making beer. It's you're using water to make a product and bottled water is considered a beverage. It's not considered drinking water, it's considered a beverage just like Coca-Cola. So uh, Coke has a plant here, and they have, they, they have a groundwater permit. They have to pay for that water. They have to clean that water. They have to bottle that water, and then they sell it for a fortune because consumers buy it. What can I say? We, we pay $500 for a football ticket. We, consumers do what they do. And so you can't really outlaw in, with free enterprise. But it is considered a beverage. Bottled water is a beverage to be bought and sold. And so no, it's no different. To think of it as Coca-Cola. Okay, hands in the front half. Oh, look, it's, uh, it's nobody that's related to me. All right, here. <laughs> I, I'm his father, and I'm glad that he finally noticed that I've had my, my hand up from the very beginning. Yeah, it never encouraged me. We're from Florida. One of our problems, we have enormous water problems, and yes, one of them, of course, is that we have legislatures and governors that are so asinine and stupid that they refuse to admit that, that there are climate problems. And one of them is we have a definite shortage of water. We have overpumping of water. What climate kind of changes do you see here in Minnesota? Okay, um, if I answer that question after the show, I need you to tell me how you came up with his name. <laughs> All right, so that's a trade right there. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> Uh, the long and short of it is that um, Minnesota is actually um, these these mid-continent um, northern parts of the of the Earth are actually experiencing more change than say Florida or say the Caribbean or Mexico, 
And um, we are already seeing significant changes in things like when the ice goes off the lakes and when it forms. That's one of our big measures here. Um, we're seeing it in terms of, uh, uh, if you're a master gardener, in terms of the zones. You know, we're now a zone four, not a zone five, or was it three? Anyway, I'm not a master gardener. <laughs> but we've changed a whole zone. So, so our growing season changes. Yes, our growing right? season has changed. Our rainfall has changed when it falls and how um, intense. So we're seeing more intense storms, and they're coming in different months than the, the steady rain used to come. So that's wreaking havoc with agriculture. Uh, so we're seeing all kinds of changes that we've already seen. We can document this, and this is simply going to continue. So we will um, become wetter over time, and uh, our hydrologic cycle is going to change um, a great deal. So we're already seeing some changes in Minnesota. Okay, I have time for maybe one or two more questions. Uh, so I'll go, oh, okay, uh, you're right here. And then I promise I'll come over there and sit and you sit down. <laughs> um, John Waterman wrote a book called Running Dry about the fact that the Colorado doesn't reach the ocean anymore. And a few, 20 years ago or so, Garrison wrote an article about um, sluicing off the Lake Superior and selling the water to the southwest. And I was living in Tucson at the time, and I actually thought it was for real. But, um, I mean, are we going to see that in the future where um, people want to play golf down in the southwest and are going to want our water? I think you already see it. Um, you're seeing it in California. You're seeing it in, in Arizona. Uh, and yes, the Colorado very rarely um, reaches uh, uh, reaches the Baja. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, the Rio Grande is also a problem, and we're supposed to share that with Mexico. We don't do a very good job with that. It's often dry before it gets to Mexico. Um, and but I don't think you're going to see um, piping of water from the Great Lakes. I mean, maybe in 5,000 years, and I can't even imagine what society would look like. It's just too damned expensive. It's cheaper for them to recycle water, and, and Arizona does a good job of that. Um, it's cheaper to desalinate water, um, and California is embarking on that road, um, as well as uh, re recycling. It's cheaper to conserve <laughs> and not water those golf courses. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other options long before you build a big, giant sluice to, um, to Arizona from the Great Lakes, not to mention the legal battles. There are probably 50 years of legal battles right there. But imagine the water slide. <laughs> All right. We are uphill. Yes, we're uphill. Actually, mine's a follow-up question now. I was wondering about desalination and whether that's actually going to become a viable up, you know, way to go if land resources are drying up. So in California, um, San Diego has built the largest desal plant in the United States. It's huge. And it's gone online, and it's going to supply, you ready for this? Wait for it. 7% of the water needs of San Diego. <laughs> um, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's um, they would have to build a, basically a desal plant like every half mile up the coast of California, which they're not going to do. They have 17 plants planned. It's gonna it's gonna be a, a fraction of their need. So it won't. It's not the silver bullet. It's also very energy intensive and expensive. But it's one of the approaches. I mean, to not do it means you're you you do not have seven percent of your water needs being met. So I, we're just about out of time, but I, I always like to ask sort of as an end, and I think that it's particularly valuable here. Well, what do we do? Like, you, you know, if, they, if the people in the audience tonight are, are, 
you know, not panicked, because you told us not to be panicked Don't about panic. this or whatever. Uh, but if they're like, well, this is pro this is a problem. This is something that I should. What what can we either do as individuals, uh, as people who are uh, care about this as a as a group, or uh, on a larger level? Okay, I have a whole laundry list, but I'm going to stick to two things. Sure. Okay. One is think about how you use water. You may think that if you turn off the water while you're brushing your teeth, that's going to be the big deal. Do it. Turn off the water when you brush your teeth. I have to go. The dental people <laughs> can tell you this. Um, uh, so, I mean, conserve water at home. But the biggest use of water in your life is probably, discounting travel, is probably um, the food you eat and the clothes you wear. So cotton, a pair of blue jeans, enormous amounts of water to make a pair of blue jeans or a t-shirt. Enormous amounts of water to grow a, 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 a cattle guy, a, you know, a cattle piece into meat. Um, enormous amounts of water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, second glass of wine, okay. No, it's fine. As a, you I was going to say a cow, but I know a cow, do, you don't eat cows. We, we eat yeah, cattle. Yeah, we eat a cattle Steers, piece. there we go, to grow a steer. Yeah. Is a lot, a lot it's of fine. water. It's good. Yes. Um, so it's, it's think, just think about your water footprint because it's not how much water you drink or how much water you know you're using in the sink when you wash your dishes. There's all those kinds of things. But go to waterfootprint.org, waterfootprint.org, and learn about your water footprint. You'll be amazed, and it may just change your behavior. Second thing, be politically active, and I say this because water is nonpartisan, but it water has been turned into a partisan, somewhat weird issue. But let your legislators know you don't care about all those trades. You want Minnesota to continue to lead in water. And they will listen to you. I will tell you, these legislators, and we have a former one, at least one in the audience, they listen when <laughs> voters contact them. They do listen, trust me. So um, I say, you know, talk to your legislators about your value for water. Get them to know and not use it as some kind of a trade. And then look at waterfootprint.org. Ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause, Dr. Deb Schwagham. Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you're interested in coming to an upcoming show, you can find all those details at www.t2p2.net.